that we could do the impossible. We can live above sin. We can live above drama and mess and worry and stress. We can live a victorious life. We can grow. We can be loving. We can be humble. We can be fruitful where we are really making a difference in the kingdom of God. We can leave a legacy that, that, that is a rich legacy. And you've made it all possible through the gift of your Holy Spirit, his indwelling and his filling us for service and for living. We ask, dear God, that you would walk with us again today through your word, that you would apply it to our hearts and that you would give us wisdom and understanding. We give you praise and glory, and we just thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so our theme verse has come from Romans chapter 8, and it simply says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now let me tell you, there are some people with some good personalities and some people with some really big talents and, and all that sort of stuff. And from a human perspective, they have so much to offer. And God says, I look at your talents and your personality and all of this stuff. And God says to me, it doesn't mean a thing. Because what I'm after is perfection. And what I'm after is spiritual. And all that you have is imperfection. And all that you have is carnality. And so God says to us that in the realm of the flesh, we can't please God. There is nothing that we can do where he can say, good job, if it's our doing. What God says is, I want the Holy Spirit to work through you. That's what God says. And uh, I uh, gave you that list last week of those 25 things, and it's a short list of what the Holy Spirit means to us. And if you did not get one last Sunday, I have some extra copies Please feel free to get one after the service. I'm happy to share it with you. But the Holy Spirit is the energy. He is the power. He is the presence that makes the Christian life altogether possible. And um, it is in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18 where God says to me, do not get drunk on wine. Where God says to you, it leads to debauchery, and he tells us instead, be filled with the Spirit. God says, don't be an alcohol user, because it leads to nothing but bad. He says instead, be filled with the Spirit, because that leads to nothing but good. And so we're not to have alcohol influence our judgment and our conduct and, and that sort of thing. And uh, there are Bible readers out there. And they look at the Bible and they go, but wait, 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 wait. Uh, there are a couple of passages that I'm thinking about here. And it seems to me to indicate that there's nothing wrong with using alcohol as a beverage. We have the passage where Paul says to Timothy, use a little alcohol for your stomach's sake. And then we have that passage among passages where the Bible says in John chapter 2 that Jesus got invited to a wedding. 
and it was at the wedding that he turned water into wine. And if Jesus is turning water into wine, would that not indicate that it's okay to drink, to have wine at your celebration? And it's kind of amusing to me in a, in a sense that, 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 that that's what Jesus uh, is known for in the minds of some people. He turned prostitutes into evangelists, but you don't hear them talking about that. He turned rank sinners into outstanding saints, and you, you don't hear much about that transformation. He turned murderers into preachers, he turned fishermen into apostles and all of these other transforming powerful acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't get nearly as much press as Jesus turning water into wine. Did Jesus turn water into wine? I will concede I will confess, I will agree, the answer is yes. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, took water and he turned it into wine. There is no question about it because the Bible says it in black and white. Jesus turned water into wine. And I have literally heard Christians say, when I take communion, I don't want grape juice. I want wine. Because the Bible says it was wine. And they want wine and not grape juice. Because Jesus turned water not into grape juice, but into wine, is what they say. And so the question is not whether Jesus turned water into wine, because obviously he did. The question is, did Jesus turn water into fermented wine? Now that's the question. Was the wine fermented I am happy to be able to say it was not fermented wine I'm happy to be able to say that and I'm absolutely certain about it and um, the trouble with people thinking that this was fermented wine is that when people want something to be true, they'll often just accept it as true without even thinking through the process. They don't use wisdom, they don't use common sense, they don't use reasoning. If it looks like it's the way I want it to be, I'm just gonna call it good and uh, believe what I wanna believe. So the question is this, did Jesus turn water into fermented wine? I mentioned that this story is in John chapter 2. And uh, Jesus goes to this wedding, 
and it says that his mother was there, and it says that the disciples were there. And so these are the kinds of people who are on the invitation list. These are not just, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is a friend of publicans and sinners and, and that sort of stuff, right? And, and that is true. And, and so people can look at this story and go, oh, pff, these are just more sinners who are just, who are just inviting Jesus no, no, no. They're not just inviting Jesus. They're inviting the Virgin Mary. They're inviting the disciples to come. And so this is not this situation where I'm just going to invite all my sinful partners, but I'm going to invite Jesus too. No. This is telling us about who the guest list is. This is Jesus. This is the disciples. This is the Virgin Mary. And so these are God-fearing people who are on the invitation list, who are the guests at this place. And so it sort of gives you an idea of who is throwing the party, who is the one who is having the reception at the wedding. These are God-fearing people. These are not people who are just sitting around the tavern. If you want to have a good time at the beer joint do you invite the virgin mary and jesus and his disciples and nah these are god-fearing people but apart from that let's just look a little bit deeper at the story it says that when he turned this water into wine that there were these six jars that were there outside and the purpose of these jars was for purification in other words, these were like outdoor bathtubs because Jews believed that if you went to the marketplace, you could pick up evil spirits, and before you were going to eat, you had to wash your hands. And when they say hands, they don't mean what we mean by hand washing. They meant that you had to wash your hands from the tip of your fingers all the way down to your elbows. And you didn't do this just one time. You went to the first one, and you washed, and then you went to the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one, and the fifth one, and the sixth one, and you had to wash ceremonially. And you could imagine after 100 people have washed their fingers all the way down to their elbows, that first one was really dirty, and the next one, and the so on. And by the time you get to the end, the water looks a little bit better. Well, it's sort of like outdoor bathtubs. And it says that these big jars, these, the, these outdoor washing stations, that there were 20 to 30 gallons each. And there are six of them. And if my math is right, that means that it was somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons. And so if we just took the middle ground and we just say it's 150 because some were maybe 20 and some were 30 and we don't know what the measurements were for each one of them. But let's just, in the middle of the road, that would be 150 gallons of water. And uh, when the wine ran out, and if, if we just used like 100 people for this ceremony, and it could have been more, but if we say that it was a hundred people who were at this ceremony and uh, it says that they were all 
drinking and having a good time and all this kind of stuff, and they ran out of wine. And probably, if we're talking about 100 people, maybe they had, what, 25, 50 gallons of wine? We don't know, but maybe somewhere in that neighborhood for enough of these guests to have wine, but at any cost, they ran out. And so Jesus said, um, take these water pots and fill them to the brim. And so they are not half full. We know that all of them were filled to the brim. What that means is that whatever Jesus turned into wine, that there was about, probably about 150 gallons of it. Now, just think with me just for a minute. Am I, in your opinion, as holy as Jesus? The answer is no. <laughs> I'm nowhere close. I'm nowhere in the territory of Jesus. Uh, I wouldn't even make a good Apostle Paul. But could you picture me coming to your wedding? There's a reception. And everybody is drinking Thunderbird, and everybody is intoxicated a little bit already. And I show up, and in my trunk, I have 150 gallons of Thunderbird wine. What would you think of that? Would you go, oh, cool, a pastor's brought more wine? Or would you think, He's got to be out of his mind. We need to call Eunice and ask her <laughs> what's going on with this dude. Do you really believe that the one who said don't get drunk with wine would show up with 150 gallons of wine? Does that make any sense to anybody? Nah, doesn't make sense at all. I'm not nearly as holy as Jesus. And that wouldn't even make sense to you if I did that. If I showed up and I have in my trunk 150 gallons of Thunderbird, you'd really wonder what's going on with me. How do I know beyond the fact that it just doesn't add up? It just doesn't make sense. Beyond that, here is what we can gain from Scripture. The word wine is one of those catch-all words. And that's not the only catch-all word in the Bible. For instance, the word love. We see love in the English and the behind the scenes in the Hebrew and the Greek. It could mean several different things. There, there are catch-all terms in the Bible. Uh, for instance, the word spirit is a catch-all term. That word spirit can refer to your breath. It can refer to the wind in the sky. It can refer to the spirit that is within man. It can refer to the Holy Spirit of God. It can even refer to an unclean spirit. 
It's a catch-all word. And that's the way the word wine is. The word that is most commonly used for wine in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word yayin. And in the Greek, the word that is most commonly used in the Bible is the word oinos. And so when we look at the Bible and this catch-all term, what do you suppose they called fermented grape juice that was turned into wine? What do you suppose they called it? Yeah, they called it wine. So they also had this vinegar that they would make from sour grape juice. They would let it sour and not necessarily ferment. And it was called uh, vinegar appropriately. But guess what they also often called it? Wine. And uh, there was also the fresh, non-fermented grape juice. Guess what they called that? Wine. And they also had the table jelly. And, and you can picture that, can't you? These nice steaming hot biscuits, and there's a jar of jelly on the table, and it would be very common for them to look at that jelly and say, would you pass me the wine? And you know the difference between jelly and jam, don't you? With jelly, they only used the juice. With jam, they used the whole fruit. And they would also make grape jam. And guess what they called the grape jam? They called it wine. And so don't let that word wine um, mislead you just because you don't know what is underneath that word wine. So how does God feel about wine? Does the Bible really tell us much about how God does feel about us drinking alcohol? Even if the Bible did not address it, I know personally for me that God spoke to me very clearly, very plainly, and said to me that alcohol is not going to be a part of who you are. And nobody had ever told me before that there was something wrong with drinking alcohol or getting drunk or whatever. Uh, nobody had ever told me that before. But the Holy Spirit did. And I later learned from the word of God how God feels about me drinking alcohol. So how does God feel about it? In the book of Leviticus, God was addressing Aaron and his sons because they were the ones who were the ministers in the temple. They were the priests, which was the minister staff. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. Does that tell you a little bit about how God feels about people in ministry? 
using wine? And he says, when you're in ministry and you are teaching the word of God and you're discerning between holy and unholy, guys, you got to be clear-headed and you got to have good judgment. And if you try to do ministry and you're under the influence of alcohol, God said, I'm going to impose the death penalty. That's pretty strong. Here's what God says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 20 and 1. He says, wine is a mocker. What does he mean by a mocker? In other words, wine will mock you. It'll make a mockery of you. Wine will make you into a fool. Wine will make a fool of you. Wine is a mocker. He says then beer is a brawler. In other words, uh, beer in the alcoholic context, what he is saying is it's responsible for so much violence. And often when police officers are called and there's a wife that has been battered, so often it's a husband who has been drinking. Why are there so many fights in bars and nightclubs? And why are there so many shootings in places like that? Because that's what alcohol does. It changes your personality. It lowers your inhibitions. It, it, it clouds your judgment. It, it, it belittles our minds is what it does. And he says, whoever is led astray, in other words, whoever is misled by it, who is, who is deceived by it, who is fooled by it, whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Why is it unwise? Because when you see the impact that it has, when you see what it does, the devastation that it causes, and you are still fooled by it, even though it has hurt so many people, you're still fooled by it. The Bible says you're not very bright. Do you know there's not a single drunk out there who thought they may become a drunk? The reason people pick up alcohol and drink it is because they say, I'm the one who can handle it, even though there are so many who have been destroyed by it. I'm the exception to the rule. I am so strong-minded. I am so well-constituted that it poses no risk to me. What God says about that is, you're not very bright. Because all of these people who are alcoholics, they were saying the exact same thing you were saying. I can handle it. And so now there are 5 million women in the United States who have an alcohol problem. They all went into it. I can handle it. It's going to happen to other people, but I can handle it. There are 9 million men in the United States who have an alcohol problem 
right now. They're in bondage. And it started as lighthearted fun. It just helps the party along. Right now, there are almost half a million kids between 12 and 17 years of age who are in bondage to alcohol in the United States because I can handle it. It's not going to do anything to me. I'm not going to be the person who is going to be the drunk. And even if that were correct, even if you could handle it, it would still be so dumb for us to drink alcohol because even though we could handle it, what we can't handle is the influence it's going to have on somebody else who is watching us drink. They're going to pick it up. They're going to try it. And maybe they'll be the one to die where you lived. Is that worth it? Not to me. Not at all. What does God think about alcohol? Does the Bible say anything about it? Here's Proverbs 23, 31, and 32. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. What does God say about wine? Don't even look at it. Don't even let it have the opportunity to be a temptation for you. If you're watching television and there's an alcohol commercial that comes on and they're making it look oh so good and so sparkly and everybody's having a wonderful time and it goes down smoothly and it just does wonders for the party and for the people and all this kind of stuff, God says that's a good time to switch the channel. Don't even look at it. Don't even give it the opportunity to be suggestive in your mind. Why does God have such a problem with me drinking alcohol? Here's the reason. Because God loves me. And he loves you just as much. Here's the reason. Because verse 32 says, In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. That's why God doesn't want me to use alcohol. That's why he doesn't want me to introduce alcohol to my kids and that sort of stuff. I've heard parents doing dumb stuff like, you know, I'm going to let my kids try alcohol at home so that when they get out and try alcohol, they won't go all crazy and, and wild and all this kind of stuff. That makes no sense to God. Because what God says is, tell your children the truth about alcohol that is something that will bite like a snake, it will poison like a viper. And what is God saying about alcohol that is like a poisonous snake that you are very likely to die? And so now, our highways are littered with people who are dying from alcohol. All these car crashes we see, one out of every three of them is because somebody was driving under the influence of alcohol. Why? Because we can handle it. We can even drink and drive. In fact, I feel like I drive better when I drink. 
is that kind of foolishness that is costing people their lives. And God says, I hate the carnage. I hate the abuse that comes with it. I hate all the damage that comes with it. Did you know that we could be a little bit wealthier as a nation, that our taxes could even be a little bit lower if it weren't for alcohol, that there's over $250 billion worth of damage done by alcohol every year. Because everybody starts out the same way. I can handle it. I'm fine. I don't have a problem until it is a problem. How does God feel about alcohol? Proverbs 31, where this godly woman was teaching her son about life. This chapter is not that long, but it was so important that she takes the time to address alcohol, and she gives several verses to it. And she says to her son, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine. She was raising her son to be royalty. That's what she was after. And so she said to him, because I'm raising you to be kingly, I'm raising you to be royal, because I'm raising you to be somebody who is noble, a good man who is respectful and respected. Wine is just not a part of that. Wine just doesn't fit that scenario. If you want to be somebody that is of noble character and, and somebody who is respectable, don't, don't have wine as a part of the ingredients. Because it just doesn't go together. And she says in verse number five, lest they drink and forget what law, what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. She said, there's something about alcohol that just makes you forget the values and makes you forget what is important. It, 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 it affects your sense of judgment and fairness. And there are so many people, because of alcohol, they have done things that they never would have done without it because the judgment that God gave them, they compromised the judgment through a bottle. And now they're in jail. And now they've lost their job. And now they're pregnant. And now they have a disease. And now they've offended somebody. And now they've hurt somebody. And now they've killed themselves. Whatever it is, the list just goes on and on and on and on because what alcohol does is that it poisons your brain. That's all it does. How does it make me loosen up? Poisons my brain. How does it make me bolder? Poisons my brain. How does it fool me and make me think I'm more creative when I drink? It poisons my brain. How does it make me think that I'm really sounding good and I'm sounding smooth and I'm sounding intelligent? It's poisoning my brain. It's turning me into an idiot 
to where I can believe stuff that is not true. Now I feel like I can fight the police and win. There's just nothing good that the Bible says about alcohol. All right, so pastor, let me just ask you point blank. Does the Bible ever say that it's okay to drink? You got me on that one. The answer is yes. The Bible does say that there are times when it's okay for people to drink alcohol. Like, for instance, Paul said to Timothy, put a little wine in the water because you need something to kill the germ in the water. But yes, the Bible does say there are times when it's okay to drink. When does the Bible say it's okay to drink? In this same passage, in verse number 6, Proverbs 31 and 6, it says, give beer. To who? To those who are perishing. You ever see anybody in hospice and they're dying and their bodies are just filled with pain and uh, the doctor gives them what? Morphine. They didn't have morphine back then in Bible days. And so this wise woman she said, if you're going to give beer to somebody, give it to the person who is dying. Takes the edge off. It says in verse 6, give wine to those who are in anguish. Anguish, painkiller. Verse number seven, let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Is this talking about people drinking alcohol who are the children of God, who are wanting to be a good example, who are wanting to protect their children, their grandchildren? Is it talking about these kinds of people using alcohol? I was talking to a Christian once, and they were talking about having a few beers, having something to drink, that sort of stuff, and, and, uh, and I was just talking to them, and, and I was saying, interesting. And I said, so what does, well, what does it do for you to have a glass of wine? What does it do for you to have a beer, uh, that sort of thing? Well, you know, it just relaxes me, and... It gives me a sense of peace, and it takes the edge off, and it lifts my spirits, and, you know, they were saying these things, and I was, um, and I was just listening and, and, and just letting them talk, and, and, um, and I said to them, 
Do you know that's what God wants to do for you? All of those things that you mention is what God provides through the Holy Spirit. And I, and I said, why are you replacing God with something that is temporary and shallow and harmful in the end? Why not have the real thing? Why not have the peace of mind, the boldness, the sense of calm? Why not get that from God? Anything that alcohol can give you, it'll take that back and so much more. And what God gives us, it's all good. And that's why God says to us, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Because wine is nothing but a fake. It's just a false substitute. It's just a harmful substitute for all that God wants to do for us. God said through one of his prophets in the Old Testament that it's prostitution and wine that makes the heart forget God. How can it make the heart forget God? Because it's just a phony substitute that replaces God. The Bible has nothing good, nothing encouraging to say about fermented wine. The Bible talks all day about new wine and, and all that and grain because the Bible is using that word wine and it's talking about the produce of the field. It's talking about grape juice. But when it comes to the fermented beverage, the Bible just doesn't have anything good to say about it. And in so many places, the Bible warns us that it's no good. Let's pray, shall we? We pray, dear God, that you would... Uh, Give us the kind of spirit where you can guide us with your eye. Where you can just gently speak to us and we're so responsive to you and we're so eager to please you that that's enough to keep us in line. Let us not have the kinds of hearts where we want to argue with you and fuss with you and fight with you and be rebellious toward you and try to justify why we do what you say is not wise. You said that the rod is for the fool's back. That when we choose to be unwise and instead we choose to be foolish, that that's when the rod comes, that that's when you have to chasten us and discipline us and cause us pain. 
Help us to not be that kind of a child of God, but to be one who is sensitive. You said that you would guide us with just your eye. You can just give us the look and we get in line. Because we're wise. We are obedient. We're faithful. Help us to be that kind of a Christian. We thank you, dear God, for your word is clear to those who will accept clarity. We thank you and we bless your name. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. In just a moment, we'll be standing.